TED Audio Collective. Whenever the government wants to launch an initiative that benefits the general public, what's the first thing we all ask? How are we going to pay for it? I'm talking about plans or policies that address the climate crisis, the rising cost of healthcare, our aging infrastructure, our need for affordable housing. The list goes on and on. And then the squabbling begins over the price tag and who exactly is footing the bill. But there's an economist who says the framework that we're using to contemplate what is economically possible is all wrong. I'm Madhupa Akinola. This is TED Business. We all aim to be fiscally responsible. I mean, my mom always said, your life is going to be a mess if you don't pay your bills on time, if you spend more than you have. And we expect our government to be equally as thoughtful. But government budgets are nothing like our personal budgets. So why are we using the same decision-making process when it comes to government spending? Our speaker today, Stephanie Kelton, asks this question. She's a professor of economics and public policy at Stony Brook University. And in this talk, she shares her perspective on modern monetary theory, which once you learn about it, you might wonder... Are financial deficits so bad after all? That's coming up after the break. This show is brought to you by Schwab. With Schwab Investing Themes, it's easy to invest in ideas you believe in, like artificial intelligence, big data, robotic revolution, and more. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy as is or customize the stocks in a theme to fit your goals. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing. Hey, TED Business listeners. We're supported by our friends at Working Smarter, a new podcast from Dropbox exploring the exciting potential of AI in the workplace. Working Smarter talks with founders, researchers, and engineers about the things they're building and the problems they're solving with the help of the latest AI tools. Tools that can save them time, improve collaboration, and create more space for the work that matters most. On Working Smarter, hear practical discussions about what AI can do so that you can work smarter too. Listen to Working Smarter on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or visit workingsmarter.ai. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Add a little curiosity into your routine with TED Talks Daily, the podcast that brings you a new TED Talk every weekday. In less than 15 minutes a day, you'll go beyond the headlines and learn about the big ideas shaping your future. Coming up, how AI will change the way we communicate, how to be a better leader, and more. Listen to TED Talks Daily wherever you get your podcasts. When things break, we have an opportunity. 
We can pick up the pieces and put them back together the old way, or we can look for better ways to build. COVID broke everything. It put a spotlight on the many deficits in our economy, in employment, education, healthcare, housing, and it showed how inequality made it all worse. Here in the U.S. and around the world, governments did some extraordinary things. They sent money to people directly to help them buy food and pay rent. They provided free COVID testing and expanded healthcare to cover more of the population. They gave money to businesses to help keep them afloat while much of the economy was temporarily shut down. They offered debt relief to millions of people who borrowed money to go to college. They did all of this and more without raising taxes or having a prolonged battle over the usual question of how to pay for it. To me, this was exciting. And I'm an economist, so I don't say that a lot. <laughs> But as someone who's been trying to change the way we think about deficits and government spending, I saw this as an opportunity to show why government budgets don't work like household budgets, why all of their red ink is really our black ink, and why our nation can afford to keep investing in the things we need, even after spending trillions to fight the pandemic. For a while, it looked like the U.S. and other countries were starting to break the mold on the old way of thinking about deficits and taxes. But now, here we are, just a handful of months after all of that bold action, and we're sliding back into our old habits of thought. Can we build affordable housing and fix crumbling infrastructure? Can we expand Medicare to include dental, vision, and hearing? Can we tackle our climate crisis? As Congress debates these questions, everyone is back to asking, how will you pay for it? It's the wrong question. In fact, the right questions don't involve money at all. Instead of worrying about where the financing will come from, we should be asking, are these things worth doing? And do we have the real resources, the people, the equipment, the raw materials and the technology to do them? Will they make society better off? And do we have the political will to act? I'm one of a handful of economists who contributed to the body of academic scholarship known as MMT, or Modern Monetary Theory. MMT provides an accurate description of how a fiat currency, like the U.S. dollar or the British pound, actually works. It reminds us that we're no longer on a gold standard, so finding the money to pay for the things we need is never an issue for countries like the U.S. or the U.K., If we're going to fix what's broken in our economy, we have to fix the way we think about the limits on government spending. Let me give you an example of the kind of broken, gold-standard thinking 
that still permeates our discourse. Back in 1983, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, Margaret Thatcher, said these words. If the state wishes to spend more, it can do so only by borrowing your savings or by taxing you more. And it is no good thinking that someone else will pay. That someone else is you. There is no such thing as public money. There is only taxpayers' money. Maybe you've heard the contemporary version of Thatcher's dictum, there is no magic money tree. It's just another way of saying that everything must be paid for and that the taxpayer is ultimately on the hook for whatever the government spends. It sounds worrying. As individuals, we know that when we borrow money to go to college, start a business, or buy a home, we're personally saddled with that debt. We have to find the money to pay it back. Taking on too much personal debt can lead to all sorts of problems. Even small businesses and large corporations have to walk a fine line when it comes to debt. But the federal government is fundamentally different. Unlike the rest of us, Congress never has to check the balance in its bank account to figure out whether it can afford to spend more. As the issuer of the currency, the federal government can never run out of money. It can afford to buy whatever is available and for sale in its own currency. Now, that might mean spending on roads and bridges, a military arsenal, or hospitals and schools. Finding the votes to pass a spending bill can be hard, but finding the money is never a problem. They just create it. So here's how it works. Whenever Congress and the president agree to spend more, the government's bank, the Federal Reserve, works with the rest of the financial system to get that money into our accounts. Everything's done electronically, so there's no physical printing of money involved. If you got a $1,400 check from the federal government earlier this year, or if your company received money to help cover payroll and other expenses, then you received some of the newly minted digital dollars that were created to support our economy. No taxpayers were involved in that process. It was all done using nothing more than a computer keyboard. So why are we hearing so much about the need to raise taxes, to pay for infrastructure and make other investments in our economy? In a word, deficits. We've all been conditioned to worry about deficits. So lawmakers are looking for ways to spend more without adding to the deficit. And that's what this whole pay-for game is about. Unfortunately, deficits have gotten a bad rap. They're almost always seen in a negative light. And I would like to change that. When we hear the word deficit, we probably think of a deficiency, 
or shortfall. Okay, a deficit always sounds ominous. So when we hear that the federal government just ran a $3 trillion budget deficit, it can sound worrying, and it can even anger people. But there's another way to think about government deficits. Just as a six becomes a nine when we view it from a different angle, a government deficit becomes a financial surplus when we look at it from another perspective. Here's what I see. I see what's happening on the other side of the government's ledger. When the government spends more than it taxes away from us, it makes a financial contribution to some other part of the economy. Their red ink is our black ink. When you look at it this way, it becomes clear that every deficit is good for someone. The question is, for whom? And what are those deficits being used to accomplish? It matters how the money is spent and who ends up with the resulting surplus. Tax cuts that deliver huge windfalls for those at the top without sparking investment and opportunity for the rest of the population don't make good use of deficits. On the other hand, spending trillions to support the economy during the pandemic put the deficit to good use. We just had the shortest recession in U.S. history. To me, that was fiscally responsible. Being responsible shouldn't mean running the government's finances like a household. Instead of trying to keep the deficit in check, Congress should be focused on keeping inflation in check. That's the real limit on spending. And it's the thing to watch out for if you're thinking about spending trillions on things like infrastructure, health care, and free college. Instead of asking, how will we pay for it? Congress should be asking, how will we resource it? To answer that question, think of people, factories, equipment, and raw materials like wood and iron. If we're going to build high-speed rail, fix crumbling infrastructure, and green our economy, then we'll need concrete, steel, and lumber. We'll need construction workers, architects, and engineers. We'll need companies that can fill thousands of orders for solar panels, EV charging stations, and electric school buses. If our economy has the productive capacity to quickly supply all of those things, then we can easily resource it. Or take health care or free college. Paying the bills to expand Medicare to include dental, vision, and hearing is easy. The challenge is making sure we have enough dentists, optometrists, and audiologists to treat everyone who needs care. And if you want to resource free college, then you need the faculty, the classrooms, and the dormitories to teach and house more students. In a full employment economy, all of the resources you need are, well, fully employed. There's no spare capacity anywhere in the system. 
So if the government suddenly tried to make all of these investments at once, it would quickly discover that it doesn't have the people or the building materials to do the work. To get the resources it needs, it would have to compete with the private sector, bidding up wages and prices. That would be inflationary, and it would be fiscally irresponsible. We are a long way from full employment. We have the resources we need to begin repairing our broken systems. But we have to believe it's possible. We can't let words like debt and deficits hold us back. With a better understanding of public money, where it comes from and how it works, we can take aim at the many real deficits that are bearing down on us. In every crisis lies an opportunity. We can pick up the pieces and try to reassemble the fragile systems that were in place before the pandemic, or we can build anew, shaping our bountiful resources into the kind of world we want to live in, one that cares for our people and our planet. I truly hope we choose to be bold. Thank you. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Support for the show comes from Brooks Running. I'm so excited because I have been a runner, gosh, my entire adult life. And for as long as I can remember, I have run with Brooks Running Shoes. Now I'm running with a pair of Ghost 16s from Brooks. Incredibly lightweight shoes that have really soft cushioning. It feels just right when I'm hitting my running trail that's just out behind my house. You now can take your daily run in the better than ever Go 16. You can visit brooksrunning.com to learn more. We're living in a time of extreme challenges, and we need creative solutions in order to combat them. Stephanie shows us that to help more people thrive, we need to change how we think about financial deficits. We need to move away from a mindset of scarcity. Because here's what we know about what scarcity does to the mind. Research by Eldar Shafir, a psychology and public affairs professor at Princeton, and Sendhil Molanathan, a professor of economics at the University of Chicago, shows that scarcity creates a mental trap. When you don't have enough, you tend to fixate on short-term solutions. It's like you have tunnel vision. In one of their studies, they looked at the decision-making of sugarcane farmers before the harvest, when they were in a period of scarcity, and compared it to after the harvest, when they were in a period of abundance. They found that under scarcity, the farmers performed worse on a test that measured general intelligence and abstract reasoning. Another way to put it, When you're always thinking you don't have enough, you might not be able to think as clearly or come up with the most creative ideas. 
But when you know and believe you have sufficient means to take care of things that matter to you, you make better decisions. And we need to be able to make good decisions right now about things like healthcare, education, and climate change. So people like Stephanie are asking us to think outside the box. She's asking us to focus less on what we don't have and more on the resources we do have and can put to good use. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Cosmic Standard with help from Asia Simpson and Eliza Smith, researched by Cassie Brabaugh, and fact-checked by Nicole Bodie. Our mixer is Sam Baer. And special thanks to Anna Phelan, Michelle Quint, Corey Hajim, and Colin Helms. I'm Madhu Bakinola. Talk to you again next week.